Welcome, everybody, to episode number 21 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. It is difficult to understand the universe if you only study one planet. That is a quote from Miyamoto Musashi, one of the greatest swordsmen to ever walk the face of the earth. And that's one of my favorite quotes because it embodies what I think about the fire service. It embodies what I want this podcast to be. It embodies everything that I want this podcast to be and it embodies everything that I want to be as a firefighter. I don't want to just be the master of one planet. I want to understand that universe. It's exactly why I started the podcast. It's exactly why I bring the guests on that I bring. It's why we've talked about ultra high pressure on this podcast. It's why we've talked about different books, different philosophies, different philosophies on masking up, different philosophies on 360s. Because I've said this before, when I started the podcast, I did not want to just bring you one perspective and tell you that it was the way that it was the gospel. And that's what you get from a lot of fire service stuff out there, whether it be articles, whether it be tweets, whether it be podcasts, all that kind of stuff. You get a lot of that. And that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm always trying to bring you, the thousand or so listeners that listen to me, my perspective. And if it's something that resonates with you, and if it's something that you enjoy, or it's something that you can use when you're working, then feel free to take it. If it's something that doesn't necessarily apply to you, then that's awesome. You can you can learn about it. You can say, hey, this is not going to work for me, and then you can move on. But I think Musashi said it best, and he talks about this a lot. If you've never read the Book of Five Rings, uh, I highly recommend it because he talks a lot about how we should train and what we should train in. He goes on to say in another quote from the Book of Five Rings, You should not have any special fondness for a particular weapon or anything else for that matter. Too much is the same as not enough. Without imitating anyone else, you should have as much weaponry as suits you. So again, what that says to me is that I shouldn't be a slave to one style. I shouldn't be, uh, and another great martial artist said this too, uh, Bruce Lee, when he came up with Jeet Kune Do, it was the style without a style. There was no rigid forms or anything like that. It was the style of fighting. and it, He wanted his students to be like water, to be fluid when he, was, when he was teaching and when they were fighting. He didn't want them to have to subscribe to these rigid forms and whatnot. And Musashi believed in the same thing. He believed in what he was doing was the right way, but he also believed in studying the... Other, what other martial artists were doing. He believed in studying the other parts of the universe. He believed in going out and studying under different masters so that he could prove that his way was better, so that he could also see what they were doing, so that he could adapt his way or his style to defeat those guys. In the Book of Five Rings, he has a book called The Wind Book. And that entire book or, or part of the Book of Five Rings talks about doing stuff that the other schools do. 
And I'll read a little bit from it. The Wind Book. In strategy, you must know the ways of other schools. So I've written about various other traditions of strategies in this The Wind Book. Without knowledge of the ways of other schools, it is difficult to understand the essence of my Ichi school. Looking at other schools, we find some that specialize in techniques of strength using extra long swords. Some schools study the way of the short sword, known as Kodachi. Some schools teach dexterity in large numbers of sword techniques, teaching attitudes of the sword as the surface and the way as the interior. Again, what he's saying in all of this stuff is that he is a student of his craft. He believes in what he is doing. He believes in the way that he fights and the way that he trains and the way that he teaches. He finds it the most effective. However, he's going to continue to be a student of the trade. He's going to learn from other masters. And that is something that every firefighter, I don't care if you're the day one rookie or the 25-year chief officer, that's something we all need to remember. We need to be students of this game, students of the trade. If you don't think that you can learn something from some other firefighter just because he doesn't have a fancy uh, fire department after his name, then you're selling yourself short. I've been able to learn from firefighters all over this country. I've taken things that work for my fire department from each and every one of them. There are things that work in the FDNY that also work in my fire department. There are things that work in the rural volunteer department that is just down the road from me that work in my fire department. So if I were to sell that short that, oh, well, FDNY or D.C. or Baltimore or whoever doesn't do this or Boston, they don't do it this way, so we're not going to do it that way. I'm selling myself short. And so that's what I want to, and that's what I've been trying to do with this podcast. I've been trying to bring you a perspective, not necessarily to change your mind, but to give you a different perspective to maybe something that you can use at the end of the day when you need to use it. And if you don't like it, it doesn't apply to your fire department, then that's, then that's fine. There's no reason you don't have to take it. But kind of like Ron Burgundy said, if you like it, you can keep it. If you don't like it, you can send it right back. Ron Burgundy, another great philosopher like Musashi. I kid, but seriously. And so that's what I've always tried to do with this podcast. And that's what I'm going to continue to try to do. And that segues me into bringing on my good friend, Lieutenant Bobby Drake from Hanover Fire and EMS. Bobby and I have known each other for years. We went to high school together. We volunteered in the same fire department together. Uh, he was in my wedding um, you know, we are, we are great friends and Bobby has started to branch out and to do some teaching and he's got two great classes. He's taught at Firehouse World. He's taught at a ton, a ton, a ton of other places. He just taught at Virginia Fire Rescue Conference. He's going to be teaching at the upcoming Firehouse World and he's going to be talking to us today on the podcast about some company officer and some leadership stuff. And he's got some unique stuff that he wants to talk about. And I can't wait to get into that interview. Before we get started with the interview, I uh, want to give a shout out on the front end of the podcast to some of the people that support me. Uh, please go check out Vanguard Safety Wear. They're the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. Uh, those things are awesome. I wear them every day. They just keep getting better and better with every use, every fire, every training. They just keep getting better and better. I really love them, and I think you will too. 
Uh, but you better, like I've said about all the products, uh, every time I get a good product, I always tell you to go buy more than one because if, if the day comes that those MK1s wear out, you're going to want a second set. Second is Taylor's 10s. They make metal helmet fronts. Metal helmet fronts for your helmet. Uh, those things are awesome. And they're not just some fly-by-night, like, click-down menu or anything like that. You tell Taylor what you want, and he is going to get some concept art out to you, and you're going to get to make decisions to truly customize your helmet front and to really be able to express yourself on your helmet, which I know firefighters love to do. So give Taylor's tins a call. And lastly, Northern Star Fire, Jeff Dykes over at Northern Star Fire. They've created a fire compass that is pretty revolutionary, using some of the same technology that you've got in the cell phone that you're probably listening to this podcast on. They've been able to create a compass that is going to help firefighters stay oriented in fire buildings. It's great, great stuff. Go to Northern Fire, northernstarfire.com and check them out and tell them I sent you, and maybe they'll uh, give you a little bit of a discount. All right, enough of that stuff. Let's get on to the interview today with Lieutenant Bobby Drake talking about some company officer stuff. Welcome back to the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Super excited to have my good friend Bobby Drake on. Uh, like I talked about in the uh, intro, me and Bobby go way, way back. We went to high school together. We volunteered together at the Mechanicsville Fire Department. We went through Firefighter 1 and 2 together. Um, you know, he was at my wedding. Uh, I mean, this is like, you know, he was in my brother's wedding. I mean, like, you know, Bobby is not just a friend of mine. He really is like one of the family, um, you know, whenever my mom sees him, she hugs him before she hugs me. So, uh, Bobby, we're super excited to have you on the, the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. Um, before, you know, we get into this company officer stuff and the leadership stuff, just give the listeners a background of, you know, your fire service experience, what your current job is, where you're working, and all the stuff that kind of got you to where you are today. Sure, man. Well, first off, uh, I'm honored to be a part of it. Uh, I love what you're doing. I love uh, seeing your growth and your success and your followers picking up. So uh, it's awesome to be a, be a part of it. It's great to see how it's uh, all coming back together for you and I. But uh, yeah, going on that, I got started in the fire service, uh, 15, 16 years old, junior member, uh, leading into a, a cadet time. Uh, you know, it was a different time back then. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of formal training specific to high school students or high school aged uh, young adults, children, if you will, uh, almost. And uh, so, you know, we were kind of baptized by fire. We were thrown into volunteer training academies with grown adults. And uh, we learned very quickly what it was like to be a, a man or a woman, you know, obviously, depending on who you were. So I got my start uh, young, you know, with you. Uh, and we kind of progressed, grew through the uh, ranks, uh, volunteer ranks as well uh, as an officer. Uh, had a brief lapse of time where I was a, a police officer in the uh, inner city environment, which was a really, really great opportunity to really just get some diversity and really learn and understand uh, different people and just what was going on around me just got me a little bit out of my comfort zone. Uh, and then obviously uh, got back uh, into the full-time firefighting realm when I got hired uh, with the department in 2007. And uh, since then, I've progressed on uh, in my career. Uh, feel like I'm on the right track. Uh, I've got three years now almost as a uh, company officer. And uh, right now, currently assigned to the Recruit Training Academy, uh, running the Fire Academy. And um, currently in the middle of uh, my fourth uh, recruit school uh, during my stint there. Yeah, and, and like you said, it, it really, uh, you know, where we come from, uh, and, and people know, you know, where we come from. We both volunteered at the Mechanicsville Volunteer Fire Department, which is part of Hanover Fire and EMS. It was just Hanover Fire back then. We didn't do EMS. 
Um, but you're right. It was a little bit different time. Um, you know, I was just talking to my kids the other day that they're lucky. They started to express interest in the fire service. And now it's all high school classes. Whereas me and you, we were going to school during the day and then at nighttime going and doing classwork for firefighter one and two. Then on the weekends doing, you know, practicals from eight in the morning till four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, it burns on the weekends. I mean, you know, when you decided to volunteer in the fire department, you had to, it was a commitment. Uh, whereas now you can kind of do it as just an extracurricular activity. Uh, so it really was a different time. You know, we're not, we weren't lumped into a group. There were other teenagers, of course, in there, but we were lumped into a group, like you said, with adults and we had to grow up really fast. And if you didn't grow up, they were going to make you grow up. So, uh, it was a super interesting time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, that's kind of really helped me grow to where I am. I mean, I'll never, I'll never look back on those times as, you know, anything other than building the foundation for where I am now. And, uh, you know, being in a combination system and, you know, getting the opportunity to still work heavily with volunteers and, and, you know, reach out to some of these conferences that I've been speaking at and, you know, working with where there's a large volunteer membership. I, I truly have been on both sides of the fence uh, and still currently work in a department that has career and volunteer team members so it's it's really been a great opportunity for me from a growth and development standpoint and uh, to see other people grow and develop through that system I mean we're I'm sure we're no different than anybody else but you know we're seeing a lot of our volunteers coming in getting trained up you know falling in love and having that passion lit like you and I did at a young age and then progressing on into a you know a full-time career aspect and it's it's awesome to see people grow like that yeah. And well, you know, that kind of brings up a good point. This is something that, you know, gosh, as, as much as we talk, I don't think we've ever talked about this. Um, you know, you work obviously for the same department that we both volunteered for. And as a matter of fact, when you got promoted, you went back to the exact station that we both volunteered for as a company officer. Was that difficult for you? Uh, because I even find it in the fire department that I'm working for that there's a lot of guys that volunteered with us that now work for the department that I work for. And, you know, even though I'm on the same rank level as them, even some similar uh, time of service, sometimes I feel like they think of me still as 16 or 15 year old Robbie, instead of the 37 year old man with two kids that I am, that I am now, you know, and, and I think sometimes they fail to see that I've grown up. Uh, have you felt like you've had to deal with that? Uh, obviously, I mean, Gosh, you know, a lot of the, the guy who's the deputy chief of operations was a volunteer at our fire station. Uh, it, you know, so do you feel like you deal with that some that people don't see Bobby the man any, uh, right now? They see Bobby or Bobby the adult. They see Bobby the kid that rode around in the jacked up truck uh, back in high school. Do, do you feel like that happens? And, and if so, how do you deal with that? Uh, I mean, I think it I think it does. But I think it it's more in the firehouse banter in the firehouse uh joking way uh you know they're never going to let you forget anything you said and did no matter how long ago it was um and that's okay because i do the same thing to them um but you know that's just that's life in the fire service that's what one of the things that makes it makes it so great uh you know going back specific to being a company officer back where you know i started uh it really wasn't a difficult transition for that reason um you know, for me, it, it's been such a change. It's such a facelift of the department. Um, you know, it, the department is 
not what it used to be then. And, uh, you know, lots of things have changed. Uh, you know, lots of traditions have been broken. You know, those things happen. I mean, that's, that's just the culture of our fire service. It's always changing. Um, and that's not always a bad thing. Uh, CNN, no. I mean, the, uh, the direct transition back uh, was not um, in that matter. Uh, you know, there were obviously some, some waves, uh, which is one of the things that I talk about um, in one of the classes that I'm doing uh, coming up soon is that, you know, you're going to feel waves. And, and I certainly felt waves. And it wasn't because of me. Uh, I think it was just the, the big picture and the, and the total circumstances is that I was coming into a situation that was established. Um, you know, it was a, a strong shift and a strong company, a strong station. Um, and I was the new guy. And there was certainly some waves there, none of which was ever meant to be personal. But, um, you know, if you care enough about yourself, you're probably going to take it personal. So there was certainly some waves, um, but not specific, I don't think, to having volunteered there in the past. Uh, that, that was almost 10 years prior to me coming back as a company officer. I, I'd been gone for 10 years, so um, I, I didn't see a lot of those changes from that aspect. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, you're exactly uh... – spot on. And, you know, and, and I think it takes a lot of guts to, to do that, whether 10 years or, or 20 years. Uh, and it's something to be quite honest with, like I didn't want to deal with, which is why I saw employment elsewhere. Uh, you know, I kind of wanted to teach, especially when I got hired with my department, I wanted to keep my volunteer life and my career life separate. And I don't know whether that hurt me or helped me, but it was just something that I felt that I needed to do. Um, and when those things started blending a little bit, uh, I kind of, I kind of ran from that a little bit and stopped volunteering because I wanted to keep, you know, my fire department life compartmentalized. And so I think it takes a lot of guts to, because I mean, who hasn't made mistakes, right? And like you said, none of those guys are going to ever let you forget anything that you ever did. Uh, you know, they're not going to forget that you didn't wear your chin strap and your, hel and your helmet fell in the portable pond. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be like, Oh, I remember that guy, you know? So, I mean, and it's that same thing happens in, in our fire department in the one I'm working for now. So, uh, so talk about that. Talk about, and, and, and I know you talk about this in the class that you do, uh, both classes that you do. Talk about coming into that established shift and how you dealt with some of those, some of those members who you were replacing a guy who was, was super popular and was a good fire officer. And talk about like how you dealt with some of that. I, you, you call it waves. Uh, I use the term maybe a little bit pushback. Talk about how you dealt with that and how you kind of overcame it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, pushback is certainly one of those terms. And I guess I say waves because I think the waves were more what I felt, um, you know, having talked to a lot of those guys and having had some, you know, open feedback and dialogue is that I think I was feeling more waves than they were. Um, you know, I, t I told those guys day one uh, when I came in uh, that I needed them more than they ever needed me. And I meant that wholeheartedly deep down. And to this day, I, I still meant it because they were established. The only thing that changed on that shift dynamic was a tenured, longstanding, respected officer moved to a different assignment and the rookie lieutenant came in. Um, and, you know, that's that's hard shoes to fill. Um, but you kind of have to throw your shoulders back and you kind of have to keep your chin up and, you know, take your licks where you have to take them. You know, you've got to be humble. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be able to just walk right in and fill somebody's shoes, nor do you want to be, you know, one of the things I talk about is that be a, be a great you because you'll never be a good anybody else. Um, and you need to 
You need to be your own person. You need to have your own style, you know, and that's okay. And it may be different from other people's, but uh, you know, one of the big things is, is honoring that past is that, you know, whether you agreed or disagreed with anything that was done before you, you have to honor that. You have to have a level of respect for what has come before you, not only at a company officer level as a peer level, but previous chiefs on a shift, you know, previous traditions of a department or a company, you know, all of those things you have to honor and you have to respect them. And I think that when you do that, it starts to expose some of your human side. Um, you know, there's that whole buddy to boss thing, but we have a very tough position as a company officer and that's being part of a team, part of a shift. We're not separated from, we're truly leading from within a team concept. Uh, and you know, if you lose the respect of the people, if you lose the trust of the men and women you work with, I mean, you got a long road ahead of you to ever get that back. If you ever get it back. I totally agree. Uh, it's one of the struggles that I have in my current role as a station captain is I'm the leader of the leaders. As some people like to say, uh, you know, I'm in charge of three lieutenants who run their shifts and I do things different than probably all three of them. So I have to integrate with them when I go to work on that particular shift. And it is, it's like walking through a landmine field. It really is. And I have to make sure that they're invested in my vision, but I'm also not trying to run their, their shift. And it can be extremely difficult. And sometimes you step on toes and there are guys that are, I mean, one of the lieutenants, uh, that, that works for me, got promoted to lieutenant when I graduated recruit school. So he's been on extremely, extremely longer than I have. He just never chose to take that step from lieutenant to captain, and that's great. Um, but we have to get along, and he has to be bought into the vision that I'm bought into, but I have to respect his tenure, and I have to respect his time on, and I, and I go to him for certain things because he's got the, the perspective of being on for 20, 25 years uh, where I don't have that perspective. So it is definitely, definitely difficult. Uh, talk about, and I know you talk about this in your class, but one of the things, and I know we agree on this, is that setting clear-cut expectations to make sure that that shift knows exactly what they're, what's expected of them. Talk about some of the ways that you set those expectations. Uh, some people use written expectations. Some people use a combination of the written word or email or something like that. Talk about how you set expectations and how you make sure that those expectations are understood and are being followed out? Sure. I think, uh, you know, one of the things I had the great opportunity to be a, uh, a student within the uh, Virginia Fire Officer Academy, uh, which is an academy. Uh, it's a residential academy format, now a modular uh, academy format as well for, for folks that may not be able to come to the Richmond area and stay for an entire week. Uh, but you have to be an acting officer or a lieutenant or captain rank to apply for this program and basically, they bring in different leadership styles, different conflict resolution styles throughout the week. And you, you learn a lot of different ways to, to talk to people and engage people and have those conversations. And, and one of the things that I learned during that program was that I had never received uh, a tangible set of expectations. Like, I had certainly had someone sit me down at a table and say, this is what I expect of you. But when the conversation was over, it was kind of like, so were the expectations. It was kind of like it was a formality type of thing that, 
well, this is just what we do on the first day of you being on a shift or a new supervisor or whatever. And, and I took that and I, and I walked away and I said, you know what I said? I'm going to create a tangible set of expectations. And they're not in-depth. They they're leave a lot for the mind to ponder because I'm a firm believer that, you know, we got to get out of our folks' way. Like, we have to be aggressive as an officer, as a leader, but not overbearing, all right? And I got that from Jocko Willink. You know, that's a big Jocko quote is that, you know, good leaders are aggressive but not overbearing. And I, I tell my folks all the time that I care about A and Z. B through Y is kind of up to you. Like, that's your, that's your autonomy. That's where I want you – to show me that you understand the expectation and show me that you can carry out the mission. And so, and that's one of the things, you know, that I really tie in with my expectations is that they have to be realistic. You have to have realistic expectations for the folks you work with. If you don't, you're setting them up for failure. You're setting the team, the shift, the company, however you want to look at it up for failure right off the bat, because if they're unrealistic expectations, they're not going to succeed. They're not going to be successful. And that's one of the things, you know, that you have to think about when you create goals or create expectations for folks. You know, the other thing is uh, they have to be mission oriented. What is the mission of your department? What is the mission of yourself as the leader? What is the mission of your battalion chief? You know, have you had an expectations meeting with your battalion, which kind of ties into the next level part or the next part for me is that your mission, your your expectations have to be in line with executive level values you know what are the values of your department if you are the the supervisor that is sitting down at the table on day one and saying i don't care what admin says this is how we're going to do business you're setting them up you're setting yourself up for failure day one you know are we all going to have disagreements are we all going to have things that we don't agree with uh, at an executive level absolutely but you took an oath to serve people on day one as a company officer, you took an oath to serve those people and now a new set of people. And, and you're serving the people that work for you, work with you in that firehouse and in that fire company. And I think it's so vital, it's so important that your values, your mission as an officer, while it may sound different and it may even look different, it still has to have parallels with, with your department's values and your department's mission. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think that's, I think that's where a lot of us get get it twisted sometimes. And and again, I've talked about this. Uh, you know, I don't always see eye to eye with with my fire department, but at the end of the day, if that's the decision that the fire chief makes, I got to support it. And I think that is where we go wrong as firefighters, company officers, uh, all the time is where you know we'll say, "Hey, chief so and so," and I'm battalion chief, whoever. I don't agree with this decision and we'll talk about it and we'll talk about it. And at the end of the conversation, the battalion chief or whoever's making the decision, captain, whoever will go, Hey, I appreciate your feedback or maybe I don't appreciate your feedback. And this is, this, this is what we're going to do anyway. We're going to do the decision that I want to do. And where we go wrong is that we go, well, then screw that guy. I'm not, I'm not doing what he wants me to do anyway. When in reality, that means everybody's going to fail. Everyone's going to fail in that situation. If, you know, you gave your feedback, you talked about it, the adult thing to do, the manly or womanly or whatever thing to do, you know, the, the, the step up and lead thing to do is support that person. Because then you start that trickle effect. If, if I don't support the chief of the department, then the operations chief fails. 
And then if the operations chief fails, the battalion's chief fails. And then if the battalion chiefs fail, I fail. And then if I fail, the lieutenants fail and the lieutenants fail. And it just starts this cascading effect of failure throughout an organization when all you had to do was just, uh, you know, firefighter up, for lack of a better word, and just support the mission of the organization, even if it's not 100% what you agree with. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to uh, – several opportunities to uh, – <clears throat> excuse me to listen to uh, and, and interact with Art Jackson, a, a phenomenal uh, motivational speaker, leadership development uh, professional uh, with Eagle's Nest Performance Management. And, and, you know, Art does a presentation. He does a seminar, a conference class on leading up. And, and that's, you know, how do you lead the folks above you? And, and one of the easiest ways, one of the best ways to start that process is supporting their values and their mission. And that doesn't necessarily make you a yes man, quote unquote, you know, doesn't make you a company man, quote unquote. But what it does is it proves to them, it shows them that you have engagement, you have buy-in at the next level. And therefore you're going to develop a lot of trust off the, off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like I said, I think I've said this in a podcast before, or maybe an article one of the worst things in our society is the fact that people think that when I disagree with you or when you have a disagreement with someone, now you automatically have to hate that person when it's not true. If I don't agree with the direction that the, the fire department's going, that doesn't mean I hate the guy who's in charge of it. it just means I don't agree with the direction. I'm still going to do my job. You want me to do this thing? Sure, I'll do it. I don't like it. But that doesn't mean I don't respect you. That doesn't mean I don't like you. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. I just don't agree with it. And if you gave me my choice, I wouldn't do it. But I, but I don't have a choice. Uh, I work for you. I work at the pleasure, you know, serve at the pleasure of the fire chief. And so that's, that's what I'm going to do. So you mentioned that you're in charge of recruit training. Explain or talk about what's different in setting expectations for tenured firefighters and brand new recruits if are they any different and or are you doing them any different and if you are t- tell us what they are tell us you know how you're leading that next generation into the fire service because I, I know how i feel and i told this to our lieutenant of recruit training the other day he's got the best job and the scariest job in the whole fire department it, because he's got the best job because whatever he does is going to be the future of our fire department he is creating the guys that are going to be lieutenants, captains, and battalion chiefs long after I'm gone. These kids that started in recruit school the other week will be here 20 years after I'm out. And so he also has the scariest job because those kids that started recruit school day one will be here 20 years after I'm out. So anything that he does, he's setting their foundation. So talk about how you're doing that in your current role. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of it is the same. Um, but at the same time, a lot of it is very different. Uh, obviously, uh, recruits are hungry. Uh, and I'm not saying that our tenured folks aren't. Some of them got their bellies full a long time ago, and they're just kind of pushing away from the table. Um, and and that, that's normal. That's to be expected. But the recruits are hungry. You know, we're, we're kind of dangling that carrot, if you will, in front of them, and we've got what they want. So motivating recruits is really very easy, um, in my opinion. However, I think what is difficult and what is hard to do 
is to one explain to them and help them understand the culture of our fire service to understand what it is that that we love so much about our fire service um and and it's a long quote and i don't have it in front of me but uh, a west point cadet in uh, 2017 was asked about what passion was uh, and his response was basically passion is taking something you love finding other people that want to know about it and not only telling them about it but telling them why you love it so much that that's that's passion and that's kind of paraphrased from the west point cadet and and that's what i love so much about the job is that I get to take the future and tell them why 22 years later I'm still doing this. Why through all the ups and downs, through all the headaches, through all the times I just wanted to throw a helmet in a trash can and walk away, I'm still doing it. And being able to share the failures of myself and the failures that I've experienced with them allows them to see that human side. And I think it helps them realize that you know, there's there is a human side to this job. Um, we're not all, you know, superheroes in capes like sometimes the, the media and, and folks portray us to be. That There's a, a significant human piece, you know, but specific to the leadership piece, um, you know, setting the expectations is, I think, really no different. I mean, they, they, they get a hard line, tangible set of expectations day one, uh, no different than I would do in any other uh, leadership setting. I, I think the difference is how they manage those expectations or how they carry them out with tenured folks. You've kind of got to massage them up a little bit. You know, you've got to get that buy-in. You've got to get that engagement. You've got to get them to respect, appreciate, you know, and understand what it is that we're trying to achieve where, you know, with a recruit, a lot of times you just say jump and they ask how high. Um, and, and that's kind of leadership in the recruit setting. So it's, it's very, it's very easy in a lot of in a lot of instances, but I guess, like you said, and you kind of hit the nail on the head that I was going to go with, <clears throat> excuse me, is that it's a thirty year mistake. If if I turn my head, if I accept and allow mediocrity, or even less than mediocrity at this stage in the game, and we let them through the cracks, they're thirty year mistakes. That's thirty years worth of trouble and headaches and uphill battles that we have to deal with. And <clears throat> I think we have to focus on that. We have to, we have to look and see is that what are we willing as leaders to accept? And I think that you're, you're more willing to accept behavior that needs to change with the tenured employee more than you are with the recruit, with the recruit, you give them the opportunity to grow. You give them the opportunity to develop. But if they are just not performing, if they're just not what it is that our fire service demands, then they got to go because, you know, this isn't for everyone. And, and sometimes people need help understanding that they don't they don't know what this job entails. You know, whereas the tenured folks, you know, when it comes to a leadership aspect. You've kind of got to continue to groom them, continue to build them up because they're here. And in a lot of instances, they're not going anywhere. So you kind of have that decision to make is that do I wash my hands of this person or do I do what I took an oath to do and I lead people and I give them a set of expectations and we move forward from it. And so that's, I think, the big difficult piece for me or the, the difference that I see between those two roles is the motivation. What is motivating the employee? And they're two very different different parts of their careers. So 
not only do we set the ball in motion, but how do we keep the ball bouncing? That's, that's kind of the key piece there for me when it comes to leading tenured folks versus recruits. So talk about how you can re-engage that, that guy. And I liked how you put it that, uh, you know, some people talk about the fire service as like, you know, they always want their, their fire service full. And some people have the, uh, you know, like mine right now is like the size of a swimming pool. You know, my, my fire service cup, it's the size of a swimming pool, man. And I got to keep it full. And so I'm super duper engaged. Some guys, their size of their fire department cup is about the size of a coffee cup and they still want to keep it full, but theirs gets full a whole lot, whole lot sooner than mine does or, or yours does. Talk about how you get that guy who, as you eloquently put it, his belly is full and he's pushing away from that fire service table. He's done had enough. How do you keep that guy engaged? How do you keep that guy or how do you re-engage him, especially, uh, you know, when he's kind of that, you know, maybe the guy, I call him like the chair dweller. They basically spend their entire 24 hours jumping from chair to chair to chair to try to avoid people saying that they're in the same spot all day. And so they look like they're actually moving around, but they're really not. How do you engage that guy? You know, and what difficulties have you had engaging that guy? Well, I think for me, and I do talk about this in in my Code Blue class, my Code Blue leadership class, um, you know, which is kind of that that rhythm, if you will, that kind of that template, that starting point for for a new leader or a new officer who really just never was formally trained or never provided any real insight. And I think I'm really significantly out of order of of the template here, but it's understanding their needs. Um, you know, it's that emotional intelligence. And I think we as officers, we have to bring a lot of that to the table is why is their belly full? Have they spent the last 15 years at a busy house, you know, getting their butt kicked every day, every shift for the last 15 years, and they're just done? Is there issues at home? You know, are they just bored because it's the complete opposite and it's a slow company and they're not engaged. They're not, they're not out training. You know, you got to understand what their needs are. And I think that once you determine or try to determine what the needs are, then you got to kind of look in your backpack. You got to look at your resources and understand what you have out there. And, you know, who do you have, you know, what's your circle of influence? You know, if you've got a 20 year guy on your shift, you should probably have a 20-year guy in your experience circle You know, that's a firefighter, that's not an officer, that you can call on and go, hey, man, help me through this, all right? And, you know, part of being a leader is not having all the answers. It's knowing where to find answers. And, and I think that that's, you know, the big thing that you have to do is you've got you to understand their needs. And, and then once you do that, then you can kind of brainstorm things out. You can kind of come up with some ideas and, and create some, some solutions to that problem. Uh, and, and, you know, and sometimes you're not going to, sometimes it's going to be f- deep rooted. It's going to be far removed from the firehouse life where you're never going to be able to really get your hands on it. Um, but you know, you've got to engage these people. Uh, you, you talk to people and, and you have a conversation with them about a particular behavior or something that they're, they're doing. That's not in line with the mission or not in line with the expectations. And they give you that deer in the headlights look. And it's like, come on, man, like you have to know what I'm talking about. And they're like, no, I, I do. I know what you're saying. I hear you. But, you know, I've worked for five lieutenants and you're the first person that's ever said that. And so then you go back and you call your peers and you're like, hey, like what was going on? Like, is this new? Is this something that just popped up? Oh, no, no. It's been going on his whole career. We just figured it would never change. So we left it alone. 
And then your light bulb kind of goes off. Well, now you are the first person that's ever highlighted it. So can we fix the problem? Absolutely. Why? Because they never knew there was a problem to begin with. Um, and I think that's the big thing with, with creating change and creating solutions is you got to have a conversation. You have to be willing to have that difficult conversation with people. And sometimes, most of the time, it's not going to be as difficult as, as you thought it was going to be. Um, you know, it may, it may feel very uncomfortable going in, but in most instances, folks I have found in my, in my short tenure, my short time uh, in, in this position, is that once you bring it up, they, they know about it. They just really don't know how to fix it. And, and they don't know how they got in the situation they got in. And a lot of times they're, they're willing to hear you out. You know, they, they want empowerment. They want to change. They don't want to have that reputation. I mean, I've found that most firefighters in the business that I've ever been around, and, and from the time I was 16 till now, they're prideful. And they want to be the best. And they want people to think good things about them. And if they don't think that people do, they want to fix that. Um, and you've just got to empower them. You know, you got to engage and truly you know, kind of get off your butt and, and do your job, you know, lead, lead with the right attitude, lead a team effort, you know, get the gang out there and kind of rally around these folks and do what needs to be done and fix it. I think you're exactly right. I think that's probably the thing that, that I, I, and I agree with what you said too. The most firefighters that I've been around, uh, they want to be successful. They don't want to be known as the bad firefighter. I think I've only come across maybe a handful of folks that could care less, you know, and like, man, they don't care. They're just there for the check. And I think you're going to have that in any organization, like especially, um, you know, with ours being almost 600 people, you guys are steadily growing and uh, bringing in younger and younger firefighters. It was so same as us. I mean, we've run uh, like six or seven recruit schools back to back. Uh, we're extremely young right now. And I know you guys are as well. So you're going to have some people that no matter how good you are, they're going to fall through the cracks and, and they may not care. I mean, we've had people leaving left and right here lately to go back to their old jobs that they had before they came to the fire department. Um, and that's, and that's, I actually commend that person because if they're going to be a drain on the department, then go back and do your other thing. Um, and I, and I think you would agree with that as well. So you mentioned while we were talking about that, your, your code blue leadership class, uh, talk about code blue leadership and then how you came up with it and, and what it's all about. Yeah, uh, abs yeah, it's sure. It's a pretty simplistic concept, really. Um, you know, of course it's the fire service and we all love acronyms. So why not throw another one out there? Um, it's just kind of what we do, but no, I was, uh, going through our assessment center for promotion and part of our assessment, uh, in an effort to challenge and, and test the candidates oral and written communication is that we had to write a paper uh, and then we also had to do a audiovisual PowerPoint type of presentation that defends our paper and the topic that we were given was uh, best practices for improving performance and difficult employees and as I sat there and I kind of was racking my brain and I was like well difficult employees I don't like that like why are they already difficult like why did we fail them as leaders already to allow them to be quote unquote difficult. And so I started kind of racking my brain about, well, if I was going to be a supervisor, which I'm going to be a supervisor, that's why I'm in this process. If I'm going to be a formal leader, how would I do that? Like, how would I, I change that behavior? How would I create that change? And, and that's where Code Blue came from. So as I was, you know, racking all those uh, ideas up in my head, 
I started putting it on paper and ultimately uh, was able to make a, an acronym. So, you know, the word code is kind of that observation phase. It's, it's, it's setting the whole ball in motion. It's kind of collecting our thoughts as, as a leader and kind of getting a feel for what's going on around us. And then ultimately, the word blue is an implementation phase. So that's where we're really starting to create uh, that change. Um, you know, so it, just to, to kind of briefly go through it, you know, the C is clear expectations. So you've got to set those first. You know, if you don't, if you don't paint the parameters, if you don't lay the ditches, uh, nobody's really going to know what they're doing and where to go. Uh, you know, the next thing is the O is that you're going to observe. You're going to see what's going on. Like what, what is it that's out there? You know, what are the behaviors? What's going on? What are the actions? What does the performance look like? You know, ultimately, which is going to lead to having to document, right? You know, so good and bad. We, we've got to keep track of the great things that our great people are doing. Um, if you sit down and you just write down the bad things all the time, at the end of the year, your performance evaluations of your shift are going to look really, really bad. And you're never going to be I, able I to highlight. You're exactly right. I don't mean to cut you off there, but that is something that that firefighters have to realize, too, is that one – you know, I, and I document, I document on all the people that are my direct reports or, or the people that I supervise, uh, I document. And like you said, the good and the bad, the good and the bad, that's the big thing. You know, a lot of people, and a lot of people I've heard firefighters like, man, if, uh, if you're documenting people, then you're a snitch. And that's not what it is at all. One, I have, like you said, performance appraisal time. We're coming up on performance appraisal time in my fire department. And that I cannot be expected to remember what you've done over the last 12 months if I don't write it down. And I want to be able to give you that outstanding rating that you've earned through your action and your performance. But I'm not going to remember the thing you did in January by next May. It's not going to happen. So documenting is, has nothing to do with being a snitch. It has everything to do with trying to lead people. And, and to me, I want that. I want someone who's going to be able to invest in me enough to keep notes on all the good and bad stuff I'm doing so that I can achieve the level that I want to achieve. So I'm really, really glad you brought that up. Keep yeah, going. no, absolutely. And then, you know, ultimately at some point what we've seen and what we've written down, we've got to talk to them. You've got to engage and explain, which is that E, which kind of rounds out that observation phase. So we've kind of taken those, those observations and we've kind of put it on paper you know, not necessarily put it on paper, as we know, in a negative sense, but we've wrote it down. We've made notes like we just talked about. And then we explain it, the good and the bad. We engage that person. We get, engage the individual. And, you know, we talk in the class. There's a lot of different ways to do that. There's Forbes magazine uh, had a huge article. It's the nine ways to engage. So if you want to take an opportunity to check out Forbes magazine, look up that article, you know, the nine ways to engage. Um, it's a fantastic article on different styles and different methods that you can use to to talk to folks you know so that ultimately kind of leads into the next step so now you and the employee have that that feedback right you have that open dialogue going where we've talked about what the issues are where where we need to create that change which leads into that that next step so that that b which is the brainstorm so we're going to create those ideas uh we're going to start to come up with actions and ideas and goals for the future to, to, to improve and to, to make things better. Uh, you know, and then as it kind of rolls out, a lot of the rest of it really kind of falls on you as the leader. Um, so it's an active process throughout. It's kind of back and forth, but it really starts to get more leadership driven at the end. And that's, you know, you got to lead with the right attitude. You got to lead a team effort. 
Um, you know, your attitude as the supervisor, your attitude toward their success, your attitude and making them feel like you genuinely care, which hopefully a leader that's going to spill down. That's going to roll downhill and it's going to hopefully get everyone in, on board. Everyone's going to see that you as the leader truly care. You're truly investing in your people and you're putting them first. And that's what they're going to buy into and they're going to respect you for it. And, and hopefully that will ultimately lead to some change. We talked about, uh, you know, the you already, which is understanding your needs and your resources. Uh, you have to be able to figure out what's what's going on um you know sometimes especially uh as you know our our mental health aspect in the fire service is really gaining ground and it's really uh you know starting to come to the surface uh more so now than ever you know a lot of these situations could be could be cries for help they they could be you know their way of trying to deflect or get attention from the real problem and you know you may be the, the first person, the first line of defense to stopping that suicide or stopping that substance abuse, you know, but you have to invest in your people. You have to get to know them. You have to understand who they are and what it is that they've got going on. Uh, and then ultimately it's empowering the change. Uh, you know, one of the big things that I talk about is that, you know, so many officers, so many leaders, chiefs, uh, all the way up to fire chiefs, they always tell you they have an open door policy. You know, but how many times have you walked through an open door and they can't push away from a computer? They can't put their phone down. They can't look up from their desk to actually hear what you have to say. So one of the things I talk about is that if you're going to open your door, uh, you need to open your mind. Your mind needs to be open. You need to hear what it is that your people have to say, because, again, it could be that cry for help. Them walking in your door, you know, to pluck your brain or to spill their guts could be that cry for help. And, you know, we have to invest in our people. We have to hear them and understand what it is that they're trying to tell us. So jumping off of that, and that's great that, that I, and, and I know, you know, I kind of knew the background of the code blue stuff. Cause I, I think I'm maybe one of the first people that ever saw it outside of yourself. Uh, you know, when you, when you came up with the concept and I immediately thought that it was, it was gold. Um, so, you know, talking about that code blue stuff, I want to ask you your opinion on this, and it's solely an opinion because I don't know the right answer. I don't know if there is a right answer. But do you feel that company officers today or even company officers of the past were prepared to deal with some of these mental health type type issues, uh, prepared to deal with some of these, uh, you know, and did we prepare them as as a fire department? Uh, for some of these things. I know personally, I wasn't prepared to deal with it. Um, what about you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I was. I mean, I think, I think we saw that stuff and uh, you know, we, we, nobody ever talked about it. I, I can't remember at any point or any time in, you know, the first 10 years, 12, 15 years of my fire service career, you know, obviously including my volunteer time, that we had those conversations, that we talked about that. I mean, we had chaplains, you know, we had people that we knew we could talk to, but, you know, the, your peer support networks, your, you know, all of that type of stuff that's out there, all those resources, you know, that mental health awareness aspect. Uh, I, I don't ever remember anybody talking about it. I don't ever remember anybody truly 
bringing that to the surface and saying, hey, this stuff is real. And I'm not saying that it didn't always exist. Uh, it always has obviously existed. Um, we just, I think culturally as a fire service, we're starting to come to accept and starting to appreciate that we all are different. And every one of us have different viewpoints and different ideas and different ways, different coping mechanisms. And, and we all break at different points. And I think we're starting to realize that. I think as, as our fire departments and, and our fire service continues to get more and more diverse, that is one of the great things about that diversity is that we're all different. And we all are starting to learn that we're not the same people. You know, there was no diversity when I got in the fire service. I, there were none. We were all roughly about the same age. We all looked the same. We were all from the same community. We all went to the same schools. We all had the same friends. Like there was no outside influences. And I think as we continue to get more of that coming into our departments, um, we're getting smarter and, and we're getting more open to different thought processes. Yeah, well said. Well said. And I agree. Uh, Cause again, we come from pretty much the same background. Uh, so I, I totally, totally agree. Um, as we start to kind of wrap it up here, I know you teach the Code Blue leadership class. Um, and so if anybody's out there interested, uh, Bobby teaches a class on Code Blue leadership. So you can get uh, a pretty significant. He delves into deep into each one of those uh, pieces of the Code Blue. But he also teaches a class on uh, his first year, the lessons he learned as a company officer. So, Bobby, if, if people want to bring you out to teach uh, something, a Code Blue class or your Lucky 13 class, that you talk about all the lessons you learned as your first year as a company officer, how can they get in contact with you or where are you teaching in the next couple months, year? Uh, it, you know, let, let the listeners know so they can, can, they can get in contact with you. Sure. Uh, well, you know, most, uh, most recent or, or coming up, um, I've got a uh, firehouse world, Los Angeles. So uh, was a uh, super uh, honored to present last year, did code blue last year at San Diego. So the last year that uh, firehouse world was there, uh, and the, the gang at, uh, at Firehouse, you know, Peter Matthews now bringing me uh, back for a second year, which is uh, so humbling. Um, I'm just a, a young officer with a, with a thought and an idea, and they're taking a chance. Uh, they're bringing me to the West Coast, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Not looking forward to that jet lag again, but I'm certainly, <laughs> certainly looking forward to being on the West Coast. Uh, so I'll be at Firehouse World presenting a Tuesday morning. Uh, at eight o'clock, uh, I have no idea what room I'm in yet. Way and that's too early your code, to know. and that's your code blue class, right? No, that's going to be lucky thirteen. The, so okay, okay, yeah. So lucky thirteen this year. So they picked up the uh, the sequel, if you will. They picked up that that uh, to fall off of uh, or fall back on from last year. So so yeah, lucky thirteen uh, lessons or luck is the new officer. Uh, so you know sometimes uh, those lessons that we learn uh, as a new supervisor, as a new formal leader. Sometimes they're, they're hard lessons and sometimes it's just luck. Sometimes it, that's just kind of the way it goes. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what that class is about. It's really just kind of staying in my lane. It's really for that, that developing officer. So someone who may have already uh, obtained their, their promotion or somebody that's, you know, striving for it. But, you know, one of the things we, we really talk about or the 13 things that we really talk about is, you know, what are you going to feel as a new officer? And, you know, granted, everybody's different. Everybody's going to feel different things. Uh, but if, if I can leave one person walking out of there feeling they're a little more prepared for the, the great honor of, of leading people, uh, then I've, I've done what I set out to do. So, yeah, I'll be at uh, Firehouse World in L.A. Uh, with the Firehouse crew uh, coming up soon. And then, uh, yeah, to get in touch with me, um, you know, I, I'm not 
one of the huge social media guys. I do uh, I do get on and make a little noise from time to time. But uh, I'm on Twitter at Bobby D B O B B Y D four eighty seven, and then uh, I have uh, got my email. It's a uh, B Drake, so just like my name, B D R A K E at V like Virginia P like professional FF for firefighter dot org. Uh, so please, by uh, all means, uh, shoot me an email uh, if you didn't catch that. Uh, obviously, Robbie knows how to get in touch with me. Uh, you follow him on the blog at average jake but uh yeah no just uh looking forward to continuing to grow and uh do my thing just a, a young officer trying to to make it better than he found it yeah I, I think that's a great place to end it so like i said anybody who wants to get in touch with bobby uh, i think he's bringing a unique perspective to leadership with his code blue stuff and uh his 13 lessons are things that any aspiring officer or any current you know, just recently promoted officer, even a tenured officer can, can learn from, because I think there's some guys that maybe 10 or 15 years into being an officer and are still making some of those mistakes. I've had the the pleasure to see both of those classes and they're both top notch stuff. So if you're looking for company officer level leadership stuff, uh, Bobby is, he's not one of the biggest names out there, but I think that's what makes him unique is that he's bringing a different perspective than what you normally hear. So again, follow him on Twitter, uh, hit him up and he'll be glad to come out there. Bobby, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you know, it's, it's awesome for me to be able to extend opportunities like this for my friends. Uh, and you know, me and you are, we go way back and we're truly, truly tight. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, words can't express, you know, my admiration for you and, and my love for you and, and just so glad that we have stood together throughout all this. So, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, man, I, I appreciate you uh, having me, uh, same to you. It's uh, been awesome to see us, uh, come together as two kids that didn't know each other, you know, went to different high schools, ended up uh, originally and ended up together and, you know, we've grown together and we'll, we'll share more stories when we're not on the air with thousands of listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to hear some real good stuff, uh, just get us Evan some beers and uh, you'll hear some crazy stuff that we can't talk about. Uh, Cause I don't know if the statute of limitations has run out yet on some of it. Um, but uh, all right, Bobby, thank you so much. And uh, everybody stay tuned. Uh, got a couple things to clean up at the very end of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. What a tremendous interview with Bobby Drake. Had to cut it a little bit short because I try to keep these right around an hour, but I definitely want to bring Bobby back on because I want to delve more into his Lucky 13 class, uh, the things he learned as his first year as a company officer. Uh, I've had the luxury to sit through both of those classes. He he calls me uh, and you know we talk about things that he wants to put in his class. And uh, actually, a couple weeks ago, went over to his house right before he taught at Virginia Fire Rescue and went through the presentations with him. And he kind of taught the class, you know, just to me, both of them. So uh, really, really think that that's that's great stuff. And Bobby's not a guy that a lot of people have heard of, but uh, he's a guy that's been a tremendous influence in my fire service career and just in my life in general. Uh, I mean, you know, been, go over to his house often. We call each other when we're having problems with company officer stuff because we're both uh, right around the same age. Again, like he, he's only a year older than I am. Went to high school together. Just a tremendous, tremendous guy. Um, so lucky to call him not just my friend, but my brother. And uh, again, like I said, he's not just uh, a brother firefighter to me. He's, he's family to me. So, uh, I really, really thank Bobby for coming on and we're going to bring him back because I definitely want to get more into his just philosophy for being a company officer. Cause I definitely think it's different than what a lot of people are doing out there today. Uh, with that being said, 
Make sure you follow Bobby on Twitter. Make sure if you're going out to Firehouse World to check out his class. I know he's putting in for some other conferences. So your other conferences out there, you need to step up and you need to bring Bobby in because he's going to be educating company officers uh, and getting people on the right track. So, again, thanks to Bobby. Uh, Go see him at Firehouse World out in Los Angeles. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Like I say every time, when I do one of these podcasts, you know, go support the companies that support me. I talked about them on the front end: Vanguard Safety Wear, Taylor's Tins, um, uh, Northern Star Fire, uh, all those guys. They support this podcast, so show them some love and go support them. Uh, and lastly, uh, this is going to come out on either Thursday or Friday before the. Fireground Commander Conference. There's still time to sign up for the Fireground Commander Conference. So uh, if you haven't done so yet, we're almost to 200 registrations. So uh, we're going to be more than what we had last year, which is phenomenal. But there's still some time. When you hear this podcast, you will still have time to sign up for the Fireground Commander Conference. So get on it. Go to EmbraceTheResistance.com. Sign up. We have one. We have single-day passes. Uh, so if you just want to come hear Nick Martin, you can buy just the pass to come listen to Nick Martin. Or if you want to hear all, th- all three days of instructors, there's a $150 registration. You will not find a cheaper uh, conference in the country for the quality that you're going to get. There's going to be socials on Monday night. We're going to be going to the Strange Ways Brewery, uh, sponsored by Local 1568, Henrico uh, Professional Firefighters. We're going to be raising money for the Burn Foundation and Burn Camp. Um, and then Tuesday at the Local 1568 Union Hall, just kind of a social to uh, just to, you know unwind after a long day of the conference. So uh, come out to those. Even if you're not coming to the conference, come out to those events and uh enjoy some brotherhood and just some some good firehouse talk. And like I say, every time I do one of these podcasts, make sure you spend one hour in the day in the library reading something about our job, watching a YouTube video, reading an article, doing something, being a student of our job. Spend one hour in the gym doing some sort of physical fitness because we have to be in shape to do this job. And spend one hour doing some sort of hands-on training. You do that. You'll be a pretty phenomenal firefighter. I guarantee it. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, but stay aggressive.